Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good afternoon and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call on AusBiz. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests in the course of an hour. Thursday, the 2nd of December, I'm Nadine Blaney. And I'm really pleased to welcome into the studio, we do have Michael Gable here. He's from Fairmont Equities. Good afternoon to you, Michael. And Luke Winchester, who's joining us from Meriwether Capital. Michael, I'll turn to you first because you're here. And yep. I have been dying to get a technical view for mm. you from you as to where this market is sitting right Right now we were watching that 7200 level so closely yeah. clearly down below that today that's that's right so the market is looking a little bit dodgy for want uh, of a better word um, 7200 it's a very obvious level everyone's looking at it we've been dipping below and above that throughout the course of today um, to me it looks like we're probably going to end up below that um, and see a bit you know a bit more further weakness so I need to have a bit more of a look as to where the other support levels are below that but um, the momentum is to the downside when I look at the US market obviously we're going to follow what they do um, the, the S&P 500 is looking very weak um, for the moment so we might end up with something like in August September where we had a bit of a cooling off but it wasn't that deep or it could be deeper remains to be seen but I think the risk is to the downside at the moment I've been trimming back anything with uh, a high PE over the last couple of days because I don't think the weakness is all to do with Omicron I think it's got to do with um, the you know the Fed tapering mm-hmm. um, and, and what's going to happen next year with with interest rates so you'll notice that stocks that do have a high PE are getting belted at the moment um, it looks like resources as an example is a fairly safe place to be in um, and so if you're looking at you know rejigging your portfolio at the moment without throwing everything out um, I'm happy to keep that exposure to resources Mm -hmm. and just lighten off on anything that's got the high PE. All right. Well, there is your advice. Information only, of course, for free. Look, I'm going to get into the stock of the day to start. The stock of the day is Zipco. No news today, except shares are getting hit hard. So again, today, Zipco, if we bring that chart up, Excuse me, I've got a tickle down by 4.3%. They've been down for a while, down 20% last month, well off the highs of 13.95 that we saw earlier this year, so that was back in February. And look, if you take a bigger step back, you can obviously see the enthusiasm for these buy now pay later names, but many in the market are asking, is it too cheap to ignore right now? Or are the best days of BNPL behind us? Luke Winchester, Meriwether Capital, I'm going to start with you on this one. Stock of the day, Zipco. Um, hey, Nadine, how are you? Um, Good. Yeah, look, I mean, Zipco, I, I've spoken about Zip and Buy Now Pay Later a few times, you know, coming up on the call or just in general. And I've sort of been consistent for a while that I've thought that the, what I've termed third tier Buy Now Pay Laters were in real trouble. And, and we're talking about Zip today, but go and look at the charts of Lay Buy, Open Pay, Split It, Sezzle, the list goes on. They, are, they, they look worse than that Zip chart. I've always thought Zip's a little bit in between. Zip's, you know, uh, getting towards that point where it could hit scale. They've got ambitions to get there over the, um, you know, FY22 and beyond into that medium-term target they've set themselves. So, you know, I, I think Zip's, like I said, it's not quite up there with Afterpay, Klarna and Affirm. It's that next level down, but it's it's a more sustainable business than some of the other peers. I think really what's happened is the sentiment has changed completely in, in the whole space, but with Zip as well, where no longer is the market just looking at the top line growth of these businesses. We know the top line's strong. You see that in every update. You see it in their AGM update again, um, you know, 74% growth in the US, uh, oh, sorry, 174% growth in the US, 41% growth in Australia. So it's still growing, but no mention of net transaction margin, margins, operating losses. And I think that's what the market wants to see. They want to see these businesses pivot to some sort of sustainability. 
Look, Zip, like I said, it's better than those other peers in the space. It's not enough to pay Klarna or Affirm. That's the issue I have. I think if you own it, you, you probably hold it. But I, even even on this slide, I, I probably I can't come in with a buy, Nadine. I think it's a hold at best. All right, let's get a view from Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities because it certainly looks as if the momentum is mm. to the downside. So yeah. would you be selling if you're already a investor? Or again, to the point, is it starting to look interesting at these levels? Uh, I'd still be a seller at, at these levels because you know, with what's happening, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, with with tapering and high PE stocks, you know, we we can see potentially further downside um, in Zip. So nothing to do with the business; it's growing. That's great, but there's this other factor at play. Um, you know, I think when we saw the 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 take uh, or the merger with uh, with Afterpay, there was a lot of hope that that some of the smaller players would all be gobbled up, and there was a lot of consolidation mm-hmm. happening in that space. But I, I agree with Luke, and that this one's sort of in the middle, so it's not small enough to potentially be gobbled up. It's just going to remain as a competitor to these larger um, firms like like Afterpay and so on. So Afterpay, that's you know now got the backing of Square, it, now called Block. Ex- exactly. So. Look, they're still growing great. I mean, you know, the growth in Australia slowed down a bit, as, as you'd expect. Still growing quite well in the US, but you know, beyond that, um, yeah, they might just end up, uh, you know, falling by the wayside because of competitive pressures. So, um, yeah, and as you mentioned, the, the momentum's clearly to the downside here. So it's just shedding too much value each day. I'd rather just be out of it. Got it. Thank you. So that is not yet a buy, perhaps maybe never, but definitely not today from both of our expert guests who are here to answer your questions, of course. So let's get straight to them. Uh, This one is from Arian and it is zero XRO is the ticker code, as many investors will be well aware. Michael, I'll start with you on Mm. zero. Oh, look, I like the business. I mean, it's got, you know, they've They've achieved a lot over the last several years. I've been, been a market darling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been in and out of um, this this stock myself. I I use it for my business, and uh, they increased their fees on me, and I just did nothing about it and <laughs> kept paying them. So, you know, it is in some respects a sticky product. Um, they're growing overseas. They're they're profitable now. Um, I guess on the negative side, of course, valuation. So there's always concerns about uh, its valuation. Re- at their recent update, you know, the business is still growing quite a lot, but uh, I think the growth numbers are a little bit softer than what everyone was expecting. Mm-hmm. And, and being a, a charting guy, I look at, at how it's trading here, and, and most people will notice that it does seem to get into the 150s and then there's a bit of selling coming in. So again, with the backdrop of what's happening with rates and how that affects high valuation stocks, I'd rather keep an eye on this one. And if it can get through that resistance level in the 150s, let's call it 160, if it can get through all that selling, then that would be a positive sign. I'd be happy to jump on. Um, but for the moment, happy to follow by the, on the sidelines. Okay, that's a, that's a hold if you're already in it. Uh, how about you, Luke? Because it was the week before last, I think, we had the update coming from the company. And I recall at the time reading a note, wow, that's a good looking chart, from Macquarie saying that they were actually a little bit underwhelmed by some of the overseas growth narrative coming from the company and went as far as to say that uh, it could have a lot of difficulty competing in the U.S. market because there's QuickBooks there. So perhaps not not quite such a growth company after all. Yeah, honestly, Nadine, that was my biggest takeaway looking at Zero, and I think Zero is a brilliant business. I actually had it. Um, we d- we did an um, exercise a few weeks ago of a, you know a business you'd hold for the next ten years. I think was the the question. I actually picked Zero. I think the business itself is fantastic. Their pivot to being a platform style business is brilliant. You know, they're running the Zero App Store. From an operational point of view, I love it. The valuation is expensive though, and and what I think the risk to Zero is is and, and you're touching on it there with, through that Macquarie note. The the valuation is pricing in success in the US. The US is a massive market for zero, you know, the largest in the world, obviously. Um, and, and the price you're paying today, I think, assumes some success in that US growth. And you're just not seeing that same traction that you saw in the early days of, of you know, Australia, New Zealand, and even the UK, where they've um, carved out a good niche for themselves. Um, so as an example, you know, they did about 22, 23% user growth in all those regions, Australia, UK, the US, it was all, you know, very similar around that number. Um, Australia and the UK, though, as Michael was touching 
selling on, able to raise that average revenue per user. They were able to pass on those price increases uh, because that product is so sticky. In the US, the revenue growth was only 14%, meaning that you're growing, your revenues are going slower than your user growth. Competitive pressures, you touched on QuickBooks. They're the, you know, they're the gorilla in the room over in the US. Pricing pressures, they're not able to get that same sort of stickiness to the product and that pricing power they have. So will that come in time? Look, I, I would hold the stock if you own it. I, I think it's proven itself over many, many years to be able to overcome small hurdles. Every time you thought the growth was slowing, they've found another leg of growth, they've pivoted to a new vertical, they've you know made some savvy acquisition. So I would hold the business even on 20 times revenue. Um, but it, I, I tend to agree, it's tough to step in and buy it today um, just until I think you see that a bit more traction in the US in particular. That's where the market's really looking. And I think that needs to just show a, a little bit better um, growth before you could step in and buy. Thank you. So it's a hold from both of my guests. Let's get to the next one on the list. And this one is for Sophie. Sophie, I do hope that you're watching or listening. It's Coden. Now, I think this is a really interesting company for as long as I can remember, Luke, when we've been chatting on this program, a lot of the analysts have said, oh, you know, I missed this one. It was doing so well, but the share price has been sliding. And that chart really shows it clearly this year from June to where we find ourselves now. And it's made an acquisition. So just yesterday or the day before, I do believe um, it looked to make an acquisition in the UK. Uh, clearly hasn't done much uh, for its share price yet. Um, is again, is Coden, you know, screaming by if you fundamentally believe uh, that its products are going to continue to be in such high demand and that it will continue to innovate in the space? Um, screaming buy is, is you know, a, a tough way to put it. I, I think you can grit your teeth and maybe buy it today. Um, Coden, you're right. Coden is a fantastic business. It, it's a cyclical business, though. And I think over the last few years, the markets were sort of a bit blinded to the cyclicality of this business. Um, and, and, and it got tagged with a few other sort of structural growth companies that, you know, can sort of continue to grow regardless of what the wider economy or market is doing, um, you know, Coden doesn't quite have that. It is tied to some cycles, particularly resource cycles um, and, and, and economic cycles as well. So when it got to 36 times earnings, that's that's a steep price for, for Coden. But the, the note I jotted down looking at the company, the, the other problem you had as well that compounded the valuation you were paying, the business was clearly over earning. And they've come out and clarified that in the AGM update. They sort of said, FY21 had about 15 to $20 million of revenue, an estimated 15 to $20 million of revenue. Um, they think was sort of brought forward or, or um, you know, came about because of the COVID pandemic with government stimulus uh, and people unable to travel and, and, you know, have tourism and leisure. People pivoted to hobbies like, um, you know, um, uh, metal detecting and things like that. So they, they called out that they thought they were over earning in FY21 and, and those earnings would be flat in FY22. And, and, and as you see, it was a bit of a crowded trade. It was a, a pretty thin stock um, that, that a lot of people are tagged as quality. And when that momentum comes out, Michael can probably talk to this a bit more. That's sort of what happens to these businesses. Fundamentally, it is a brilliant business. It does 36% returns on equity, um, really high margin, good cash generation. It's back to about 18 times earnings, a nice little bolt-on acquisition. I do think, like I said, screaming buys, you know, it could continue to go lower in short term just because of that momentum and that sentiment. I think you can grit your teeth and start to buy some, but do it slowly. Like as as Michael will probably point out, these charts don't turn around straight away. Uh, but but I think at these levels, the valuation is getting to a point where I'd be interested. Um, but but yes, it's it's a tough one. And it's a good lesson on sort of, um, you know, not being swept up in the sentiment of the market and always focusing on the underlying businesses. Is it a buy today? Yes. Yeah, look, I would say buy. Like I said, I wouldn't go in and mm -hmm. buy, you know, if you, if you had a parcel in mind of what you wanted to own in this business, I wouldn't buy it all straight away. Mm -hmm. You know, you maybe buy a quarter or something like that. But I think at these levels, you can start to enter into it around that $9. Like I said, about 18 times earnings is not too bad for Coden. Got it. Thank you. Let's find out what Michael Gable has to say about Coden. Um, well, looks pretty much touched on the points that uh, that I was going to mention as well. So he, you know, he spoke about you know the liquidity and mm -hmm. and whether it's a crowded trade or not, and that's something I've picked up on as well with this particular stock. So it's not very liquid. If it's if you need to get out, it can be quite difficult. And we saw that about a month ago when we had the CEO step down and they they spoke about 
um, the uprising in the Sudan where I think they derive about 10% of their earnings. The, the share price just fell away so quickly and there was just, yeah, just no liquidity there if you had to get out. So um, that is a problem. Look, it can work both ways. I think when the shares are ready to head higher again, you could get quite a dramatic uplift, but clearly the chart's pretty horrendous at the moment. It's still on the way down. It is, the valuation does look quite interesting here. And, um, and as a cyclical stock, I think 2022 could be a good year potentially for it because I, you know, I, I think there'll still be increased spending in that resources sector. Mm-hmm. So it's one to watch, but the way it is at the moment in terms of holding, I wouldn't want to hold or necessarily buy here. I mean, my, my, my strategy would be to wait for it to, to bottom out so first. So that's what I was going to say. You wait for some sort of a turn. So you want yeah. to see the proof in the price, in the uptick yeah. on the charts before you would buy in. That's that's right. And we had the, um, the, uh, the acquisition, I think it was yesterday, that mm-hmm. you mentioned in the UK. I think that only adds about six. 600 mil, uh, sorry, $600,000 to earnings. So, um, yeah, I think we just need some more announcements at, at a bigger scale to, to get everyone interested again. So that's an avoid for now. Yep. Wait for an entry point. Okay, got that. So, Sophie, there's your answer. Sean is asking about K2Fly. Now, the ticker code is K2F. I had to do a bit of reading, but thankfully, Sean provided some background. It provides ESG SaaS solutions to the mining sector. He reckons it's gaining a bit of momentum with new contracts and renewals. He says it's on an EV sales ratio of around four times, reasonable given the growth, that's in, uh, in Sean's opinion. So asking about the risks, the pitfalls of a business like this, wondering if there's enough margin of safety here at these levels. So again, we're talking price. I'll start with you, Michael, on this one. Yep, so they've, they've picked up some contracts recently. So, you know, big players like Rio, I guess, Initially, a risk there would be if you only have a few large contracts, it leaves, um, it, you know, it, it leaves you at risk if, if something happens to one of those contracts, as opposed to if you had a lot of smaller contracts. Um, but look, you know, I think it looks like they're still obviously not profitable yet, but if they continue down this path of winning the contracts, that would, you know, that would be a positive. I think they're in a sweet spot in terms of, again, I think resource um, companies will mm-hmm. still be spending next year. Um, the other pitfall that I noticed um, with this particular stock, if we thought Codan was illiquid, this one's even more so. So I had a quick look. It only trades about 28 grand's worth of stock per day. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to go in and buy yourself a 30 grand position and find that you're the you're the main bloke that's been yeah, trading yeah. today. So, um, and it is on a bit of a slide. So I think with something like this, you'd, you'd have to accumulate and then you know, put it in the bottom drawer and um, and because you, you wouldn't be able to react to any sort of share price. Uh, so you really uh, have to believe the, the longer term story. Yep. Buy, hold, sell. Uh, all right, well, I'd, be, I'd be happy to hold. I think they're in the right spot, but yeah, just obviously a higher risk hold. Got it. Thank you. Now, uh, Luke, do you know the company K2F, the ticker code? Yeah, I do, Nadine. Um, you know, it's in that micro cap space. So mm-hmm. I've been familiar with it for a while. Um, like Michael said, it's it's in the right industries. It's in that sort of um, mining software services, but but around the uh, I guess ESG side of mining. Um, you know, the the recent contract they won with Rio, which is the largest they've ever done, is around ground disturbance monitoring and things like that. So um, interesting product, and that's why I've sort of always had it on my radar. Um, one caveat I would note to Sean is EV to sales was four times, but they do a bit of consulting or non-recurring revenue on, a, on an annualized recurring revenue it's about seven which is you know not super expensive but probably about fair price particularly with the, the growth they're getting and those new contracts they're winning um, still loss making which is why it's it's one that's never sort of really progressed more than just being on my watch list um, now that looks like it's heading in the right direction like uh, Michael pointed out they're winning a, a few new contracts with all good blue chip clients their, their latest headlines are like Newmont Rio Tinto um, you know and bigger bigger um, contracts as well as they go so it's, it's exactly what you want to see for me I would Sean I would hold it if you're already in the stock for anyone looking at it I'll definitely put on the watch list it's in the right space in the right sort of industry um, the, the the note I had is still loss making burnt about a million dollars last quarter with six mil in the bank but the thing you have to keep in mind this is a business has made a few acquisitions in the past and they've got three million dollars in earnout provisions so that's potential cash that has to go out the door if those acquisitions perform so potential for a capital raising in the future um, if they're forced to pay out those earnouts, um, would, would really reduce their cash balance. So 
I suspect there's one more capital raise in it, which, you know, I always like to come into a stock like this once I think that's out of the way. So definitely watch list. Um, if you're in it, I'll, I'll keep holding it, Nadine. Thank you. Let's get on to the next one. Euroz Hartley's group, EZL. This is for Giorgio. Um, he says he's been holding. So we, we have a bit of background on this one. Holding for the past three years, having bought and accumulated at $1, looking for potentially a, a view on valuation. So this, Luke, is one of the largest stockbroking firms out in WA. Um, what do you think? Yeah, look, to answer Giorgio's questions, it's it's difficult to, to talk about valuation with a business like this because the earnings are very volatile. Um, Stockbrokers are inevitably very leveraged to the market, but not just the performance of the market, but the activity within the market. And um, these guys in particular, you've combined two of the biggest stockbrokers over there in WA. As we know, WA is is the um, you know melting pot of junior miners on the ASX. And so we've been through a very big period of M&A, corporate activity, IPOs, raisings in that space and these guys have just absolutely boomed on the back of it so fy21 you know 52 and a half mil npat uh, you look at the market cap today it looks incredibly cheap you know about 350 mil market cap you're talking about six times earnings ton of cash and investments on the book it comes down to about three times on their enterprise value so you'd look at it optically and say this business is incredibly cheap i should buy it but those earnings you know we're talking about coden potentially being a cyclical business and over earning in fy21 these guys have well and truly over earned um, last year. I still think, I agree with Michael's broader point he's raised a few times. I think the mining space looks okay, um, you know, moving moving forward. But I think we have seen the peak of that M&A corporate, act, corporate activity sort of cycle, particularly among the juniors. So I think it will be strong for these guys and you'll do okay. But I just, I, I don't think they can get back to where FY21 was. And even the FY22 to date update in the AGM sort of signaled that. They said about 10 mil NPAT for the first four months solid, strong, puts them on about uh, 10 times earnings if you extrapolate that moving forward. But bear in mind some seasonality does always slows down around Christmas, New Year. Um, so look, um, Giorgio, you're already in it. I continue to hold it, but just really understand the cyclicality of a business like this. But it gives you a good yield, um, good exposure to that sort of resources space. And it is the dominant player over in WA, moving into the wealth management space like a lot of stockbrokers are. Um, I, I'd see a good reason to hold it. I, I'd struggle to come in because that earning cycle is, you know, on the way down. I always like to find mm-hmm. businesses that have their earnings cycle on the way up so again it's another hold for me Nadine but um, I think it's a, a good it's one I've never actually really looked at closely for so it's a good um, sort of one to bring up from Giorgio. Thank you now how about you Michael Gable mm. because you know would you invest in in a wealth manager stockbroking firm? I do I just plow back into my own business. <laughs> I was gonna um, say it'd be hard for you to yeah, buy your ass. <laughs> that's right um, oh look I, I picked up on on the same sort of point so last year was a bumper year for yeah. them I mean in you know revenue across parts of their business almost doubled but obviously coming off a lower base and you know you've got that that sort of cyclicality of it um, I had a look at how it's placed compared to some of the peers in the sector and yeah it does look uh, reasonable value so look I'd be happy to hold um, you know even buy here because it's it's still got the nice uptrend to it um, but yeah it's hard to get super bullish on on something that is very cyclical with their earnings thank you so that is for you Giorgio uh, let's get to origin energy from Dennis so no background here guys but we all know what origin energy does would you be a buyer of origin energy Michael short answer is no mm-hmm. um, you know they 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 could benefit from continued increases in prices of uh, oil and, and gas and electricity, um, but as we've as we've seen, uh, they seem to be uh, not getting the prices that their peers are getting because of you know they're, they're spending a lot, uh, their costs are up um, recently, uh, they're not getting the spot price, um, and the share price is still half of where it was pre-COVID. So and it's and it's still languishing. So I just think that. This one's a little bit, I'd have it in the too hard basket. I'd, I'd rather go for a more of a pure sort of resource play like a Min Resources or a Fortescue down here or one of the lithium names. Um, I just find as a utility here, it's a bit, it, it probably won't lose you a lot of money from here. Mm. But I just don't really see the upside for the next 12 months. Thank you. Do, can, can you get excited about Origin Energy, Luke, and, and any investment thesis there? 
No, not really, Nadine. Um, I hadn't looked at Origin Energy for a while and, and um, looked at the chart, uh, looked at AGL. It's clear this industry has been completely disrupted. And reading through the Origin um, presentations, it, it's clear that renewable energy is, is doing that. It's changing the business models or, or I guess, the, the, the market where these businesses play in. So Origin had to take some pretty big impairments on their, their generation assets um, because of the lower wholesale prices uh, with renewables now coming into the market and so it's a really sort of tough business because you have AGL and Origin trying to pivot into renewables themselves they see where the industry's going but it's you know it's cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of thing because their, their core businesses are suffering so heavily as the industry leading with them leading the way pivoting towards renewable energy so that sort of energy markets they've, they've called out that will remain flat and challenged for quite some time so it's difficult for me to get excited you look at the more resources exposed LNG segment of the business. Um, they were originally a little bit optimistic about that at the AGM, saying that um, they budgeted sort of $68 a barrel for the oil price. It was upwards, upwards of 80 um, and, and, you know, so they had some potential upside to the guidance they'd given and, and, and maybe a better result than what was budgeted or expected. But, of course, oil's now retreated all the way back with the latest COVID fears, and it's it's below that um, that 68 last time I checked. So um, it's, a, it's a tough one to own. Like, at my core, I, am, I try to be a value investor, and I think everything has a price. With Origin, I think this business is just so disrupted. It's it's hard for me on, on more than a half-hour glance, which I must admit is all I had time for. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to come up with what this business even looks like in a few years time um so um i, w- I would probably sell it to be honest um it's too difficult for me to, to, to even say a hold thank you now we are at the halfway mark so take a break luke michael's got some water beside him i'll take you through what we've learned thus far in this program not doing too poorly for time either thank you very much We've got Zip as the stock of the day because it continues to come under pressure. I mean, today the share price is down close to another four and a half, five percent at this stage of the game. So is it a buy? Now, Luke says, look, it's not third tier, but it's not first tier when it comes to the buy now, pay later space. He says if you own it, hold it. But Michael Gable saying, you know, likewise, it, it, it will always remain a competitor, probably not small enough to get bought up, but it's not on the top tier. It's a sell for him. It's uh, not attractive based on price. Now, zero, it's a hold for both of my expert guests. It's valued pretty high, according to Michael Gable. Resistance coming in at 160. Uh, Look, Luke says that it is a brilliant business, but again, perhaps a bit too expensive to be buying now. Coden, it's a buy, but it's a grit your teeth and buy it. For Luke, he says you have to remember that it is a cyclical business. Uh, do it slowly if you're looking to get into the company. Now, Michael questions whether or not it's a crowded trade. Don't forget that it's illiquid. He says it still is on its way down on the charts. The valuation is looking interesting, but for now, he'd avoid it. You might be able to get it cheaper. You want to wait for an uptick to come before you buy. So look for a sign of a turnaround. Now, K2 Fly for Sean, it is on Luke's watch list, but for now, it's just a hold. It is getting blue chip clients, not looking too expensive. It's in the right industry, but he'd wait for a potential cap raise to get out of the way. Michael feels the same. It's a hold for him. It's a liquid. He says, if you're interested and you believe this story, which he says does seem sound, it's getting more contracts, you would accumulate slowly and put it in the bottom drawer because you may not be able to get out quick if you ever needed to. Euros Hartley's group, look, Michael uh, prefers to invest in his own business, but it's a hold for him if you've already got it. Buy it if there is an uptrend. So he's sort of borderline on that one, but he says it does looking pretty bullish by his research. It's a hold though for Luke because it has over-earned in 2021. He sees the peak of the M&A cycle in some of those small uh, resource areas, which is where Euros really operates. Now, Origin Energy, it's a sell for Luke from Meriwether, saying that it's a disrupted industry. He doesn't understand what the business will even look like in a decade. It's too hard basket for Michael as well. He would prefer to look at, you know, a a Fortescue or mineral resources, or maybe I'll push the point a little bit later on for a, a lithium play that he'd be interested in at this stage of the game. So let's check in in the portfolio, shall we? Thanks to our partner, NabTrade. The companies that get a two thumbs up or a buy from our expert guests on the same day 
go into the portfolio. And if it comes up again, just so you know, it needs to have at least a unanimous hold to stay in the portfolio. Let's check in on how we've been doing and weekly down around 2%. On the month, we're up by half a percent year to date, up around 7%. So that's FY year to date. Since we've been tracking this portfolio, so July 1st, 2020, we're up by 45% around about there. Lately, we've added Top Shelf International, not interesting, Globe, Atlas Arteria, Virtus Health, and Brambles, but we've taken out Atomos, Bapcor, Harvey Norman, and Southern Cross. So you can check that out at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. High Tech Group, H-I-T is the ticker code. This is for Peter. I'll start with you, Luke, because it was directed to you saying it's a founder-led company. Peter says it's an exceptional wealth compounder, though it trades by appointment. So not a problem if you're a long-term holder. He wants to know if this is a company that's on your radar. It wasn't on mine. So just for everybody else out there listening, it provides information technology, contracting consultant, and also recruitment. We know that there's a shortage of tech workers here in Australia. So is it on your radar, Luke? What do you think? It is on my radar, Nadine, and it frustrates me because it's a business that's perfectly in, you know, what I'm looking for in the microcap yeah. space, and I've, and I've never owned it. So there you go. Um, it's, it's a great business, Peter. Um, what's always kept me away is it's a great management team running what I think is an, an average business. And th- that's something that, you know, I, I want to find good or great management teams running good or great businesses. But there are these handful of stocks on the ASX where if the management team is, is truly good enough, they can turn an average business into not just an above average one, but a great one. And so high tech group, I, I love to throw Dicker data in that as well. It's a, it's a, just a distrib- distribution business, but it's so well run, they turn it into something more than that. So um, this is one I am familiar with it. I've spoken with the CEO a couple of times. So I've sort of understood, um, I, I guess, their approach to trying to, to play in that very crowded space of, of contracting and specifically IT contracting. Contracting. Their main edge over the market is they essentially only work with the Australian government. They do a bit of large corporates, but primarily governments, very well integrated with the government. So once you hit that reputation and that scale, contractors want to work with you. The government knows you're reliable and you just become, I guess, the biggest player in the space. And, and, and you know, when you're well run, you can obviously get that sort of return you're seeing on the, on the chart there, Nadine. Um, it is a, a fantastic management team. It's about 22 times earnings, so it's not ridiculously expensive today. Um, and at the AGM, they said that's going to grow. Uh, if you're in it, I would hold it, Peter. Even today, like I said, I, I still like the business. It's been on my watch list for a very long time. I, I know I should have bought it years ago. What's The other thing that's always sort of kept me a little bit away is over the years, the government has every now and then made a few signals that they want to reduce the reliance on external contractors in the government IT workforce. And the latest sort of murmurs of that only happened a few weeks ago back in October. So jump onto Google, Peter, or anyone else interested in high tech and, and, and Google something along the lines of Australian government reducing reliance on IT contractors. That will bring you the headlines that, that I was sort of looking at. Um, and, you know, they were talking about um, IT contractors are, are more than half of the government's IT workforce, and that's up from less than a third only two or three years ago. So people in the government think there's too much of a reliance on external contractors. That, on external contractors. They want to internalise that IT workforce. It's a big, big risk to high-tech group. Now, the government has sort of, you know, had these murmurs and people wanted to do things in the past. It hasn't affected the business. They've just chugged along. So I may be over overreacting to it, but that's another reason why I'm just a little bit hesitant right now to step into it, even though it looks okay. Thank you. What about your... I mean, was it on your radar? Mm. Or I, I hadn't heard of it, yeah. but... Um, 
No, looking at it today, yeah, it looks like it's... Uh, as soon as I saw that they had the contracts with the government, mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's you know, a bit of a gravy train there because once you're in uh, with, with the government there and you're one of their preferred um, providers, um, you know, it's harder for other companies to come along and try to um, you know, place contractors with the government. So, you know, that, that's a big plus, um, definitely. Look, it doesn't look cheap, but, you know, I think they're in the right spot. Um, to Luke's point that, you know, the government's, you know, I have heard they are trying to get away from contractors, but um, speaking to people that have been employed by government in, in contracting roles, there is a big pay gap between the contracting role and the permanent role. And I think there's a lot of pushback between, well, I'm not going to accept that sort of pay for the same, mm-hmm. same job. And I think it, it just ends up um, you know, with the turnover in, in who might be working in the government, I think they just end up going for the, the contractors anyway. So I think trying to get uh, people away from contracting into the permanent roles is probably a bit a bit slow. And the other thing is a lot of these um, roles tend to have time limits as well. So whether it's the government or a big organisation, there tends to be rules internally which would state this person cannot be on a contract mm-hmm. for longer than, say, two years. So therefore they're out and then another mm-hmm. and they get to place another person so look i think they're in the right spot yeah, a little bit too expensive for me i'd i'd prefer to wait for it to maybe get a little bit cheaper and then it might be an opportunity thank you all right so that's one to watch now swoop holdings for jenny i had to look this one up as well luke i'll start with you swp listed on the asx through a reverse taker of stemify Take over of Stemify. Deal brought together two internet service providers, so one in Geraldton, so that's WA, and New South Wales based Swoop, now together as Swoop Holdings. Luke, competition's pretty, pretty steep in that space. It is, Nadine. Um, it's one I was familiar with but hadn't looked at too closely, to be honest. Um, it's, it's a space I generally haven't played in too much, which is the reason why. Um, but look, investing is, is all about pattern recognition. And, and so the pattern that investors are looking at with Swoop is Unity Wireless Group. So Unity Wireless um, did a similar thing a few years ago, um, You know, came onto the ASX at a very small market cap, raised a bunch of capital, made a lot of acquisitions, completely dominated that fixed um, NBN wire. Um, space alongside the NBN, obviously, um, and and now you know Unity Wireless, three billion dollar company, infrastructure assets, and and you know um, is, is performing extremely well. So um, a couple of ex um, Vocus guys did that. Vaughan Bowen leading it. Swoops very similar. You got James Spensley as the chair. Um, the management team are all ex Vocus, Amcom, um, Pipe Networks, which was one of Bevan Slattery's. So I think investors are looking at. The success of Unity Wireless, of you know a management team coming back to the market and, and basically reenacting that roll-up strategy they did ten odd years ago, and and thinking Swoop can do the same. Now, where I'm a little bit hesitant with Swoop is I think um, Unity Wireless was quick and nimble enough to grab that market share in the fixed broadband mm-hmm. space um, alongside the NBN, and I think they got to like a really big part of that market before before anyone even realised what was going on, and now they you know they they compete well and truly with the NBN. In the fixed wireless space where Swoop is, many, many more competitors, which means they can make a ton of acquisitions and continue that roll-up, but I just don't think they'll ever be able to extract those same margins that um, Unity can because Unity's really cornered that market alongside uh, the NBN network. So I'm not as enthusiastic on Swoop. It trades about 36 times forward EBITDA. The acquisitions as well, it's always hard to know at the time how that strategy's really playing out until a couple of years probably pass and you really see the synergies they're able to drive. But look, you know, it's done well on the back of the team and, and you can't argue the corporate strategy they've had. They, they communicate well with the market. Ticks a lot of boxes for me. Look, I'd probably keep holding it, um, to be honest, Jenny, uh, who, who sent in the question. Um, but, but like, it's, it's just not my style of business. I, I don't like these sort of really acquisitive businesses, even though I recognise in that space it can work. Yeah, OK, thanks. Michael, do you feel any mm. differently on that one? Um, it's, this is also not one that I was uh, familiar with, but just having a bit of a look, I mean, there are some positives, you know, they're, they're still growing quite nicely. Some of that, even though they are making acquisitions, there has been, you know, some, some organic growth there, which is good. Doesn't look like they have any debt. So, look, I'd, I'd be happy to hold it as a speculative hold. I mean, the chart actually looks pretty good. It looks like it's ready to make a bit of a move again, um, but I just don't know enough about 
their future prospects to mm -hmm. say it's a screaming buy, but um, enough there for me to hold it. Okay, thank you. And let's get to the next one on the list for Frank. Frank, thank you so much for emailing in. If you have a question for our expert panel, not today, but get it in to the call at ausbiz.com.au and we will endeavor to get to that question in the next couple of days. Uh, PBPT. PTB Group, excuse me, the ticker code PTB. Uh, look, this is for Frank, looking for a view from the panel. It's an aviation service and parts group. So rebuilding of turbine engines, uh, related aircraft components, small dividend, constant earnings for the past few years. Recently issued positive profit guidance has little debt. Would appreciate the panel's opinion on PTB Group. I've said it. Yeah. Michael Gable. Uh, look, we know what's happening and what the mm. clouds are over travel, but yep. uh, you know these are components that will be needed. I don't know what the competition in that mm. space is like. Is it specialized enough that would make it something very interesting for you? Yeah, I think it looks looks interesting. Again, not, not one I was familiar with, but having a bit of a dig around, ticking a number of boxes here, I think it's in the right sector. We are opening up, so that's, that's a positive. They're, um, they're expanding in the Asia-Pacific US. That seems to be tracking quite nicely. They upgraded their, their guidance just the other day. So that's what you want to see with a, a business that you're holding. It's trading really well. The chart looks good. Doesn't look uh, overly expensive. So you know, on, on that sort of little bit of analysis I've done this morning, it seems to tick all the boxes um, for now. So happy to hold or, or even buy here. Well, I'm going to put the pressure on you so that I don't get pressurized from the audience. Would you buy, like the price is good enough for you to buy right now. The chart's looking positive enough. Yeah, so if I was to describe what the chart's done in the last few months, um, it's a very bullish pattern. So it initially peaked in September, got sold off, came back to that September high to test it a bit. And then the last few days, we've actually seen a, seen a bit of a, a breakthrough to, to new highs on volume on the back of um, that, that earnings upgrade. So uh, that's, you know, if I was just looking at the chart and knew nothing about the business, I'd say, well, that's, that's a buy signal um, and it should lead to a bit of a rally from here. Thank you. Fra um, Frank's been asking about PTB Group, Luke. What do you make of it? Um, yeah, it's interesting you pushed Michael on that because it's a buy for me as well, Nadine. I, I really like this business. Um, it's good to see a business like this and high tech get put up because, you know, I deal in the micro cap space and so often people view them as speculative and, and a lot of them are, don't get me wrong. But you get some just good, genuinely um, good, little good, genuine businesses that are profitable, growing, and, and both of you know PTB and high tech tick that box. So you touched on it. These guys do maintenance and repair for turboprop engines. Exposed a little bit to leisure, but not as much as you'd think. They're mostly like um, uh, agriculture, mining, um, okay. uh, you know, logistics, things like that. So they they held up okay through COVID. Most of their leisure exposure is actually to the Maldives, and, and that's recovering okay. So um, their main point of difference is they run a subscription model to that maintenance and repair. So instead of customers bringing engines to them when they're due for repair and they come into the workshop ad hoc and, and you know go back out, they get their customers on a subscription model. So they're able to um, get much better vo forward visibility over you know, when they're going to have to make repairs, the, the revenue they'll have coming in, allows them to maximise the effic efficiency of their workshops and things like that. So they really hone that strategy here in Australia. They've now moved to the US, which is the biggest market in the world for those turboprop engines, and looking to roll out that similar strategy in the US. And early signs have been very strong. Um, business is growing strongly. I've got it uh, on their guidance about 10 times um, forward net profit before tax. Uh, they've beat their guidance every time they've put it out to the ASX. Um, there was, if you looked at the balance sheet, you, you might have thought it looked quite um, uh, fragile with a lot of debt, um, but it was all asset-backed debt and with assets that were held at cost on mm -hmm. the balance sheet. So. They tidy that up a bit with some sale and leasebacks of some properties, and now balance sheet looks fantastic. Cashed yep. up, um, you know, could potentially make acquisitions. So, short short answer, I really like it. Um, good to hear the chart looks good from Michael as well. It's not my style, but that's good to know it lines up, um, and it's a, it's a buy from me. That one's going in the portfolio. Then buys from two of my guests on the day. Let's get on to the next company on the list, Woolworths. This is for Tim. So we've had a bit of news from Woolworths today, because of course it has made this offer for mm. API for. Australian pharmaceutical industries. We don't have to get too far into that, but I did want to make that note. Tim is saying, is this a good company to buy into as a beginner investor as part of a small portfolio? 
Um, it's not one I'd buy. Um, I think that Tim won't lose a lot of money holding it. I don't think he'd necessarily make much either. Um, I guess it's been well documented over the last year with COVID that it's it's been a benefit to these supermarkets. Um, if we get a bit of price inflation with food, that could help them as well. They could start trying to lift prices. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's to me, it's still just a very low growth business and the valuation looks a bit a bit rich. So I just think it'll probably, we could talk about 12 months from now to probably be where it is at the moment. So I just think there'd be better opportunities um, elsewhere. So it, yeah, it'd be a no for me. Thank you. How about for you, Luke? I know that this is not your style. You like micro caps. But if you're starting out and you're looking to get into the market, could it be a company that would be, you know, in the portfolio as part of the portfolio? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Adina. I mean, I'll just touch on the business first. I mean, um, they've spun off Endeavour now, so you've just got grocery and Big W. It's a very clean business. Wait and see what happens, as you said, with this Australian pharmaceutical. Um, on the latest updates, about 17 times EBIT, still growing after that first quarter sales. So looks, you know, slightly expensive, but not crazy. To answer Tim's questions about a beginner um, investor and do you have this as sort of your portfolio, um, to, to answer that, Tim, I guess it depends on what sort of investor you want to be. If you want to be an investor who um, doesn't want to dedicate a lot of time and effort to managing that portfolio and just want to put some money away and make sure it's safe and steady and can just compound over time, I think Woolworths, Woolworths fits that bill. Um, and, you know, you could, you could throw a few other sort of ASX top 20, top 50 stocks in there. If you're an investor who's looking to come into investing but you're willing to get a bit more hands-on, do some research, look for some conviction and your own ideas, I'd, I wouldn't start with a Woolies. I'd, I'd actually start with a few of the other stocks on the list where, you know, um, especially if you're young and can sort of sustain a bit of volatility early on in your investing career, um, you know, get a bit more excitement into what you're looking for. Maybe look for businesses you understand quite well in sectors you may work or be, be familiar with. Um, so look for from, from a stock point of view, I'd hold Woolies. But for Tim's question, yeah, it depends on, on what he's looking for um, as to whether it would be in your beginner portfolio or not. Yeah, and just to remind our viewers, this is information only. This is not financial advice. This is not geared toward your own personal circumstances whatsoever. So you need to be cognizant of that and you need to get advice on uh, that, uh, you know, that type of sort of moves before you make them. Now, ProMedicus is the last on the list. Look, we usually talk to Claude Walker from A Rich Life about this one. Uh, ProMedicus yesterday closed down about 8%. I couldn't mm. see any news out there, but it does come after a stellar run. Yep. Michael Gable, what are the charts telling you, you know, when you see that type of pressure mm. coming into a name like ProMedicus? So I think that brings us all the way back to the beginning of the show where I was talking about stocks and a high PE, and I think ProMedicus is you know, one of the most expensive um, stocks out there. I like the business. Um, you know, they're debt-free. I think they're in a great area. They're growing. Everything's right about it except the fact that it's under pressure because of other stuff happening mm -hmm. in the market. And it does, it is starting to look ugly on the chart, so it's not a buy, um, not even a hold, but definitely on the watch list. I think when all of this settles, um, it's it's worth buying, but it's just being tossed around with, with these other factors. At so the you're saying that if you have had a good run, if you've been a Promenicus investor, that you would be trimming, you would be selling, or would you yep. sell the whole lot and wait for a further pullback? Sell the whole lot, and that's what actually we're doing. Okay. At Fairmont Equities, yeah. So getting out of it and looking to come back in at uh, better levels when the dust settles. Money where his mouth is. There you go, guys. Luke Winchester, ProMedicus. Been such such a good investment for so many people. Look, it's looking at the U.S. market very positively. There are, you know, these macro factors that do bump it around. And to Michael's point, you know, it's been quite expensive. Yeah, more than quite expensive. It's probably the most expensive stock on the ASX, um, you know, for the ones that at least have earnings. Uh, about 140 times on, on, you know, looking at FY21. It's it's unbelievably expensive. But the quality of the business can't be denied. I mean, you, you take one look at it, and, and these guys do 63% EBIT margins, like profit margins. And and top of my head, the only stock on the ASX that gets close to that might be Deterra Royalties because they've sent an accountant down to the bank once a month to cash a check from um, BHP. So, 
unbelievable the, the quality of the business, but but that valuation is excessive. And, and and I think Michael's right. It's trading recently, like last few days, maybe weeks. It's not trading on fundamentals. It's trading on sentiment, and and in particular macroeconomic sentiment. You've seen the sell-off in a few of the um, more speculative Nasdaq stocks. That's filtering through to to the, the um, similar ones we have on the ASX. Um, Michael's probably more bold than what I would be, Nadine. I, I think, um, you know, I, I would definitely take profits if I've been in it for a while. Selling the whole thing, um, maybe that's a strategy that works this time, but we've seen for, you know, nearly 10 years now that, um, you know, that it's, it's been a losing strategy to sell businesses like this, particularly when the earnings can, can grow so quickly into any sort of high valuation. So I would still hold a small parcel if I owned it, but, but definitely taking profits on the run. Um, and, and I probably agree with Michael, the short term, it will be volatile, but I'd probably expect it to be more downside than upside in um, you know, maybe next few weeks and months. More downside than upside, take some profits. So that is a that's that's a a, a would, full would, version on a sell. I would hold it for the yeah, I would hold it, but but if I did if I don't actually own the sell, but if I yeah. did, I would take profits. And I think I think my friend Claude would agree with me. I think he's taken profits lately. I think he on, has. Uh, yeah, I don't want to speak yeah. for him, but there you go. All right, guys, that's fantastic. Um, I'll just run us through that list before we do our thank yous and our goodbyes. Uh, let's go to number six, high tech group. Uh, look, it's a great business, but Luke's just not buying it this time. Uh, Michael agrees. Look, it's a good business. It's got government contracts, but it's not cheap. So you can wait for this one to buy on a pullback. Swoop, it's a hold for both of my guests. Luke's not convinced it's going to be the next Unity. Um, Michael says it's growing nicely, but he just doesn't know a lot about the company and enough about what it will do going forward to be buying. But he does say that the chart looks good. PTB Group is a buy and it's going into the Osbiz portfolio. It ticks all the boxes for Michael Gable and the charts say that it's got a pretty bullish pattern and it's a buy from Luke. He really likes the business. Balance sheet looks good as well. Woolworths, look, to buy it as a beginner investor, as a portfolio, both of the guys said no. It's a hold, I suppose, if you have it for Luke, but it's just not a very exciting stock. Uh, Michael says you won't lose money, but you're just probably not going to make a lot either. But again, if you're starting out and you're constructing a portfolio, you, you need to do your own research. Prometicus, Luke is game to take some profits. He's not game to sell out of it altogether. There will be volatility. You could see some more downside, but Michael is game to sell out. In fact, that's what he's doing. He does like the business, but he thinks the chart is starting to look ugly. It will be on his watch list, of course, to get back in. So that leaves us at uh, the end of the program. A very big thanks to Luke Winchester, who's joining us from Meriwether Capital. We look forward to, to speaking soon. Again, Luke, have a good one. Thanks, Nadine. You too. See ya. And Michael Gable, who's joining us in studio from Fairmont Equities. Michael, thank, thank you. you as always. Technical and fundamental. We'll get you in soon <laughs> as always. And that's our show for today. Any companies, as I mentioned, you'd like us to cover, the call at ausbiz.com is the email address, or you can always find us on Twitter at ausbiz.tv. We, we, we can't get to the, the stocks on the day, but we do it as soon as we can. And if you'd like to look at that portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thank you.